I should probably do a little intro and then we'll get into it. Um, I'm not good at doing intros. Well, don't worry about it. Just know we're staring directly at you. You know, I don't, I don't, <laughs> on my YouTube channel, I don't do like the, hey guys, welcome back to my <laughs> channel, you know. That would get you a <laughs> lot of views. Right into smash it. Smash that like button and subscribe. Exactly. <laughs> welcome to Conversely. I am your host, Scott Strosel, and I'm excited to introduce you to two great guests and another guest who are all now wondering which one they are. Really Mark seems like he yeah, knows. Really <laughs> <laughs> all right, so this podcast is about exploring different perspectives, converse perspectives perhaps, while conversing, but having a good time while doing it. So uh, whether you're here to learn something new, here's some hot takes from Jolyn. The or- hottest takes. Or just enjoy some good company. We've got you covered. All right, there's my formal intro. All right, so let's get started. So in alphabetical order, so that they can't figure out who is the other guest. First up, we have Cam Fowler. Say hello, Cam. Hello, Cam. Perfect. So I did some Googling and wrote up an introduction for a hockey player on the Anaheim Ducks. I assume that's you. That is me. I am the second most famous Cam Fowler on the internet. <laughs> um, actually, I think I, I think you are the senior director of technical affairs and marketing at an animal health company. Eh, close enough. Sure. Close enough. Okay. Well, close I think enough. that's what it says on LinkedIn. So hasn't been updated in a while. It shows your age when you say that you're using LinkedIn. <laughs> and it shows your updated. age when you say it shows your age. Okay, that's true. So what is your? What are you actually? Uh, I'm I'm like I'm just an account manager, like a sales guy, more or less. It sounds senior director I've, of technical affairs and marketing sounds much better. I think you should sounds go sounds much more impressive. Yeah. It sounds so it's an impressive. animal health company. You do stuff with uh, like making food. For animals healthier, or that kind of stuff? Uh, somewhat. The company, yeah, it's animal health. Yeah, medicated animal feeds. Uh, they basically, their jobs to keep animals healthy and try to provide nutritional supplements for animals so they can stay healthy. Cool. Okay. Next, alphabetically, is Jolyn Ask. Hello. And everybody will now do their jokes about asking Jolyn something because she's never heard them. I've never before. heard them. They're very original. Jolyn is a recent high school graduate preparing to start at Iowa State University in the fall. Correct? That's correct. It's a good school. Thank you. I think so too. So what is your initial major going to be, Jolyn? And I emphasize initial because, you know, most people change at some point. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. So I'm planning to study biology with a minor in psych and then directed towards like the medical side because I'm planning to get my undergrad at Iowa State and then go to Des Moines University of Osteopathic Medicine to get my DO and then eventually practice medicine. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. So, and finally, the other guest, I mean, uh, <laughs> I wasn't supposed to say that, was I? <laughs> it's Mark Strosall. Mark is the Chief Information Security Officer, also a fancy sounding title, at a largish insurance company that will remain nameless for legal reasons, <laughs> and also happens to be my little brother. That's right. <laughs> unfortunately, that's true. Unfortunately for you or unfortunately for me? We'll just I'm let not the, sure. the viewers figure that out. <laughs> yeah. So I thought before we get into the deep discussion of prisoners and game theory and economics and all that jazz that we would do a couple of would you rather type questions just to sort of let you guys get to know each other a little better and kind of get the conversation going. Yeah. If you could choose, would you like to never have to sleep or conversely, see what I did there, never have to eat? 
I think that's an easy one for me because I would I would choose to never sleep because I could get more stuff done and I love to eat so I'm I'm I would miss out on not needing to eat so, totally yeah so for me that's... and you can do other things while you eat yeah. but you can't really do much else while you that's sleep sure yeah I agree with Sam I feel like this is an easy one like why would you not take the time that you're sleeping to eat food so that that's interesting I'm gonna probably say that I would rather not eat because the idea of eating is to refuel my body. I mean, you could say sleep is that way too, but uh, if I don't have to refuel, do I have infinite energy? I mean, that do I get to continue to burn calories and not have to refuel my body? That sounds pretty great. And if you don't eat, does that mean you don't have to worry about consuming too many calories and so you don't need to and am I super healthy? work out quite as much maybe at least not you worrying about your weight yeah i don't know that's a good question do you just automatically have the right vitamins you need yeah i regulate my body perfectly and don't have any problems yeah before that power kicks in i definitely want to lose 15 pounds though, so i'm gonna say status quo maybe about 15 pounds would be great right 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 yeah, there's a lot of unknowns to that Okay, next question. If I could snap my fingers and make you able to speak all languages fluently or, conversely, able to play all musical instruments perfectly, which would you choose? I think all languages. Yeah, that one's easy for me because I've actually thought if I had a superpower, what would it be? And it would be to speak all languages because at that point, being able to communicate with anyone across the world would be a tremendous advantage. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's the easy answer for me. Yeah. And I think like music, like as a person that enjoys playing and listening to music, it's kind of a way to share with others and communicate with others in a different way to feel what others are feeling through music. So if you can talk to them verbally, that also gets the point across in a different way. It's true. So yeah, talking to them verbally would be the most direct way. I, th- I think I'd have to go with the languages too. I've traveled a lot, and that's always uh, it's always a challenge when you you know you, sp- you don't speak the language fluently, so mm-hmm. it makes it yeah. makes it tough. So to just be able to go anywhere you wanted to and just automatically communicate fluently with people would be just that'd be so much fun. Yeah, I think Scott, you can almost play every instrument anyway, so. I mean, maybe you'd choose that one. <laughs> yeah, he's, he already has that superpower. Uh, yeah, I don't know about every instrument. I play several, yeah. Cam plays uh, guitar or bass. I've seen him dabble on the drums a bit. Um, JoLynn, do you play an instrument? I know you sing. Do you play an instrument too? I feel like you do, but I don't remember what it is. I do. I have the level of about a 12-year-old girl. I play the ukulele. I play a little bit of piano, and then I play a little bit of guitar and then cello, clarinet, and violin. Okay, that's not a little. That's a lot. That's well, like, I can get my way like through it, but I'm, I'm not a pro. Here's the real question. How many of those instruments would other people listening say you know how to play? Probably just, like, the guitar <laughs> and the ukulele and maybe the piano. That's about it. Okay. Oh, okay. I also play a mean cowbell. I think Mark could even play the cowbell. Rhythmically, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Do you play any instruments? I mean, you know, you've played in the past instruments, Mark, but I don't think you do anymore, do you? Uh, no, not really. I do have a piano, actually, just right outside my door that yeah. I may choose to play someday. Sure. It hasn't happened yet, to be clear, but, but that option is always there. Cool. All right, so those are my two, my two questions. So now everybody knows each other. I think uh, I would go with the languages thing too. I, I guess partly because I do play several instruments already, but yeah, I was gonna say, that really wouldn't help you that much. I don't know. I mean, in my in my daily life though, 
I don't know. Maybe I'm going to be the odd one out on that one because in my daily life, I don't feel like I would use other languages very often. Like just the in my current life. Says the person who is currently learning another language. That's true. I am. Yeah. Yesterday you bragged about having like a 700 day streak on Duolingo. Uh, it's almost 780. Thank you. Sorry. 780 uh, <laughs> day streak. But, and, and that's the thing is I do enjoy, I, I learned Italian somewhat um, before we went to Italy a few years back and I dabbled in learning Russian a long time ago. I know very, very little. Um, Spasiba, that's, I can say thank you. Uh, I know how to say I don't speak Russian. That's about all I know. So, but I don't feel like I interact with people very much that speak other languages. So it would be super helpful in certain situations, but I don't think in my normal life it would be. And playing all musical instruments perfectly would be very helpful in my current so life. So it's, I, I feel like though it's, it's like, it's like when you want to buy a car and you're thinking about buying a certain car and suddenly you start seeing the car everywhere. If you were more aware of understanding the languages, people probably speak all right. around. If I could speak all the languages, they would probably be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I want to talk about the prisoner's dilemma today. This is ostensibly a game theory sort of hypothetical, but it has a lot of implications in economics and politics and all kinds of stuff in life. So there's several different versions, but the basic idea is two people have been arrested uh, for a, a lesser crime. Um, we'll call them, I don't know, Bob and Steve. Okay, Bob and Steve got arrested for a lesser crime, but the, the police are pretty sure they did this other worse crime, a robbery, let's say. Uh, they got them for, I don't know, a traffic violation, they were for robbery, whatever it is. The point is, they give each of them in separate rooms a choice. They say, if you confess, say Bob confesses and Steve does not, Steve will get five years in jail, Bob will get zero. Okay? But they tell Steve the same thing. If Steve does it, Steve will get zero, Bob will get five. But if they both confess, then they're going to get both of them three years. Because they cooperated with the police, right? So they get three years each. If neither one of them confesses, they're going to end up only getting charged with the lesser crime and get one year each. Okay? So it makes sense? So if they neither confesses, they each get one. If one of them confesses, they get zero and the other gets five. If they both confess, they both get three. So... So do they have the same last name? <laughs> I feel like that's important information. So we're going to assume that they don't have any loyalty towards each other. There's no reason that they are concerned about each other in, in this initial scenario. So here's the problem. Think about it from either one of those perspectives. Let's say Bob's perspective. Okay. If Steve confesses, our options are confess and get three years or don't confess and get five. Mm -hmm. If Steve... If Steve doesn't confess, my options are to confess and get zero. Steve's in trouble, but I'm getting zero. He's getting five. Or I don't confess and I get one. So regardless of what Steve does, Bob's best bet is to confess, right? It comes out better for him either way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And of course, it works the same way for Steve. So for both of them individually, regardless of what the other person does, they should confess. So logically, then they would both confess and get three years each, which is actually working out worse for both of them than if they just cooperated because they're both going to get three years instead of one. And together, they're getting a total of six years instead of two. So the interesting dilemma is 
individually, selfishly, they should confess. But for the whole, it's better if they don't. But they don't really have any incentive to do that. Now, this is, can get applied to economics. You could imagine like a quick trip across the street from a Casey's gas station, right? And individually, they're better off. Well, if I put the gas $3.98 instead of $4, we're going to get more people coming to our gas station. But then they're both interested in reducing the price like that when actually it'd be better off for them both if they just said, let's just leave it at $4. We'll each get half of the business. We'll make more money because we're charging more. So it ends up this is applicable to a lot of like real world situations. Yep. So now the question becomes, what should their strategy be? Do you think they should confess? Should they not confess? They should not confess because snitches get stitches. There you go. <laughs> so, so they definitely should not confess. I think the, the challenge is not how many years they get. The challenge is can you actually go to jail, be in jail, and for the record, I've never been to jail, but can you? I've watched enough jail movies to, to know that it's really, really hard to get out of jail without getting in trouble while you're in jail. Like the people around you cause problems. Oh. They're in there because they caused problems. So one year, three year, or five year might turn into 10 in the end either way. So the path that leads to zero is really the only path that I'd be shooting for and trying to get mm -hmm. my partner yeah. to do the same. Yep. And so, of course, it makes a difference if you're talking about prisoners going to jail, if you're talking about a business setting prices for things. Um, you know, it, it depends on the situation, right? Like, what are the stakes? And of course, like you said, do they have the same last name? Are they brothers? <laughs> right. Do, do they have a connection? Do they have a reason to... Um, care about what happens to the other person mm -hmm. where where it really gets interesting is the iterative prisoner's dilemma so when you're going to do it multiple times if you're just doing a one-off the best thing to do is be selfish right but what if you're gonna potentially do this multiple times right i'm gonna do more robberies with steve in the future <laughs> or whatever right now i have to care what he thinks because he's gonna act differently based on what i've done right yeah so, so you you would think that this reminds me of a book by Chris Voss. It's called Never Split the Difference. And he was the top FBI hostage negotiator. And his point is that it is never acceptable in a hostage negotiation to meet in the middle. Like you're always trying to get them to come to your approach because death of two people out of 10 is not acceptable. So like you can't split what you want and get five people back, let them take four people or five people if it's 10 and then get on a bus and leave. Like that. So you have... His approach is very much, you need to be able to argue and, and bring it back to what you need. And so I think if you apply it to the prisoner situation, it's interesting because you should be always shooting for what's best for you, even if it leads to mutual destruction. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting approach if you, if you apply it backwards to that. And then based on that, then you would, you would say you wouldn't confess, right? You would just, you would. You wouldn't want to meet in the middle, exactly. so to speak. Is that, that, that would be, but but that would be the difference. There is the book is about influencing others and having that one-on-one -on -one discussion. In the in the scenario where you're in two separate rooms, your your Scott, your question of what's your strategy? Well, that to me that implies you actually have a chance to communicate with each other or provide or come up with a strategy. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of that is how trusting can you be? if the other person is incentivized the opposite direction. So I, I think influence is a huge topic alone. And 
very difficult to do with somebody you've never met that you are already committing a crime with or have committed a crime with. Yeah, and and, and in the this hypothetical, you know, thought experiment, they aren't allowed to communicate with each other. That's the the idea, mm-hmm. um, which of course is not realistic, right? In real life, most situations this would be applied to, you know, Casey's and Quick Trip across the street from each other. The gas stations could talk to each other, right? They might not, but they certainly could. Well, they actually they actually couldn't though in pricing because of antitrust laws. So that would actually be anti anti competition. So they so they can't actually communicate on pricing. Well, they're not supposed to. Even though they put a giant sign up that they can see the pricing <laughs> right, right, right across right. the street, but yep. they. Well, and so it does kind of work out there because, like you said, they can't maybe they can't directly communicate, but they kind of can. They could both just I mean, so so one of the things that they've done some tournaments, as they call them, where you come up with a strategy and they do, say, 100, 200 rounds of this is my strategy. This is their strategy. We're going to say, do we choose to cooperate or defect is what they call it. So cooperating would be not um, not snitching. <laughs> Defecting would be snitching, basically. Mm-hmm. And both sides decide what they're going to do independently and then go from there. And you have to come up with a strategy uh, the way they've done it. It's not like a person sitting there doing it. It's, here's my strategy. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And if this happens, I'm doing that. You know, It gets really interesting there because, like you said, they've got their signs out of there. They're putting the prices up on a sign, right? And that's kind of the same thing of defecting or cooperating right because they put their price up when you put yours up you're either cooperating or defecting right yeah like you're exactly. either agreeing with their price or going lower yeah if they raise their price and then you don't follow suit and raise your price then like you said you're defecting at that point right. or if you lower your price then you're defecting as well mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so what do you think would be a good strategy i have a question is yeah does, does it matter if you actually committed the crime or not Oh, true. Are you actually guilty um, of the crime that you're, right, com- that that's you're a confessing good question. to? Um, in this, in the hypothetical situation, they are guilty. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, and, and I, I think the prisoner side of it is really not even the point. Like the crime side no. of it, because they're of course applying this to lots of other things. It applies to game theory sure. and economics and stuff. But that's a good point. And, and really, I don't know. From a purely what's your best outcome situation, it wouldn't matter because if you confess, you're getting the five years or the three years or the, you know, whatever. Yeah. And if you don't confess, you're getting this. It, it, it's not really based on whether you did it or not in the, in right. the hypothetical. Yeah. But certainly it come that there's lots of moral things that come into this, right? Like, should I snitches get stitches, right? Like, should I do this if it might harm somebody else? Um, and they've also done some tests with this where they did a similar type of game and had people play it. And people, I mean, the ideal strategy is everyone should always defect. I mean, that's just, it's always better for you if you defect. But a bunch of people usually choose not to defect, yeah, even though fear. they don't know who the person is on the other side. They don't know who they mm-hmm. are, but it's more like, yeah. well... I don't know what they're going to do. They might be, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm going to trust that they're going to be nice. I'm going to be nice to, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to make them, you know, that kind of thing. I think thing. you see this, you see it played out a lot of times in like shows like, uh, like if you watch any shows like Survivor and stuff where they, they form coalitions and then they defect, you know, sometimes they go against their best interests or what the best interests of the group are. And so it is very interesting to me because I, I, you do see sometimes people act 
uh, maybe not in their own best self-interest sometimes. And then sometimes you see them act very selfishly as you'd sort of expect them to. And so it's really, it's tough to know exactly how people are going to act because they sometimes will do one thing versus the other like in that. So it's, it's because it's that uncertainty in the prisoner's dilemma. Right? You just don't know what the other guy is going to do. Is he going to act in his own best self-interest or is he going to confess to try and lower the overall, make the best thing for outcome for everyone? And a lot of times, so like in Survivor, like you said, they'll have a coalition. Well, sometimes it kind of feels like if somebody is going to break the coalition, you want to be the one to do it, right? And so you're incentivized, kind of, to be the one that does it. So let's say you're going to do this this tournament thing. And of course, people spent lots of time and you know really thought it through, and you guys just got this thrown at you. So clearly, I don't expect you guys to have the best plan. But... What what would you think would be some strategies that you could do? Of course, there's the obvious ones like always cooperating or always defecting. Uh, and, and always defecting is the optimal situation as expected from what we've done uh, until people start using other strategies that punish defection, right? Like in your survivor example, if you jump ship too early... Now you're out, not in your coalition, but the other group doesn't want you either. You end up getting punished for defecting, right? Or snitches get stitches. You get punished for snitching. Yeah, people people, people punish well, you. Yeah. It's a game of probability a little bit, too. Like, you mentioned at the beginning that these two individuals don't know each other well. And in, the, in those situations, you have a much higher probability of people taking an action that's in their best interest and so I, I think you have to expect that the other person is going to be acting in their best interest. And so then you then you're you're strategizing based on that expectation. It's it's the door problem of like at the beginning you you don't know something and then you have more information as you go. So I would be trying to get more information out of the people accusing us, like the cops or the because then at that point you might develop more of a strategy or change your strategy based on the information you have at hand. So you could also feed them false information to see what they do with it. So, you know, he, we were at that place in the jewelry store. Maybe it's not the jewelry store. Maybe he gets that information from the cop. Yeah. We know you were at the jewelry store. I mean, he'd be like, wait a second, that was false information. He's feeding them false information that, so you, you could game it a lot of ways. Yep. So in the, in what they've done is they've turned this into a tournament thing where you literally don't know the other person. Mm-hmm. The only things you can do is say defect or cooperate. Those are your only options. Defect or cooperate, round one, and you get essentially points instead of years in jail. It's the same idea, right? But it works out the same. Say five, three, and one, and zero. And then you do another round and you say cooperate or defect and then cooperate or defect. And you do this 100, 200 times. Do you see the other person's response? You know what the other person did. You know what your score was. And then you choose again. So all you can choose is cooperate or defect over and over and over again. So people change their answer over time based on. Sure. Yep. And eventually. But my assumption is they change to the point where they're finally in their best interest and they both stick with that going forward. They're learning from past mistake. Or conversely, people like um, Cam and Mark have said, people always act in the selfish interest, then after repeated selfish interest failing them, because if both of them act selfishly, both prisoners act selfishly, then they're going to get 
three years in prison, then after time, if they go through this multiple times, then they might start to realize, hey, if we both act as a team, like selflessly, we can get a better result. Yep. So if you think about it, they're going to do better if they always cooperate than if they're fighting against each other. But individually, you're going to do better if you manage to defect when they cooperate more often than they defect when you cooperate. So I think of the game of Risk or other games where you have like three or four people involved. And at some point, you know, you're not going to be the winner. So you're going to you're going to do you determine and you intentionally take other people out. So I'm one of those that in the game, if I'm like the second person to go out, I will try and take out another person to speed up the entire game, even though it makes them mad because then they can't win. That's how you tell your younger brother. <laughs> that right there. I, I am I am also a younger brother and I also do the same thing. So maybe there is something to that. I think there is. But yeah, I always... I, it's my secondary goal. So if I can't win the game, I always then try to find something else to make the game still fun, right? So, take down as many so people second, with you yeah. as you can. Yeah, take <laughs> take somebody out, you know. Now, now risk is an interesting example of this too because uh, if you're playing with multiple people, sometimes you cooperate with someone, you kind of team up. So, you know, if Mark and I are teaming up against Cam, there's going to be a point where Cam's basically done and there's this incentive or pull for mark and i to maybe go against the other one you know i'm gonna go against mark when he's still going against cam so that way once cam's gone i'm in a better position so there's this part where we're kind of cooperating but maybe we're incentivized not to but as soon as you take that first cut all bets are off like you you immediately destroyed any trust that you had at that point and it's very very hard to get it back well interestingly one of the strategies in this tournament that they did back in the 80s was what was so people would call uh, the grudge situation. So I'm going to always cooperate. That's my strategy. I'm going to cooperate. As soon as the other person defects, I'm going to defect the rest of the time. That's one strategy. Mm. So if as long as you're cooperating, I'm cooperating too. But as soon as you defect, I'm going to defect the rest of the time because now I'm mad kind of thing, right? Um, and that is a better strategy. So what was... You don't have to tell us yet, but what was the winning strategy? Right. So there was a winning strategy. I'm curious if you guys have other ideas for strategies. Yeah. So I had a, I had a, I had a thought was because it, it's somewhat, you know, like you said, there's, there's the punishment strategy or not. I, I wondered how you would do if you just randomly picked, if you just said, mm. I'll randomly pick, roll a die, you know, and one and two is, I'm de- all right, what was I only can defect and not defect? So, you know, flip a coin. Heads is defect, tails is I, I, I cooperate. I just wondered how that would do because then at yeah. least it would it throw some that would be randomness in there. <laughs> that yeah. would be interesting, yeah. I don't see how you could win with that, though, but it, I, do, Probably I not. do think it. Yeah. I do think it would like throw off the other people's strategy because they'd be like, well, he should cooperate this time. And you're like, well, he didn't. He defected. And they're like, he should defect this time. No, he didn't. So, well, I don't know. one thing that's interesting is the winning strategy mm-hmm. was a very simple strategy. Was it to like copy what they did the last time? So if they defected the last time, you defect. And if they cooperated, you cooperate. Exactly. Hey, there we go. Joanne's staying hey. out of prison. So it's called tit for tat. So you just copy the opponent's previous play because what happens is they defect, you defect. Mm-hmm. And so it punishes them right away. Yep. But as soon as they cooperate, then you cooperate again. So you're also 
more forgiving. Because if you, the grudge one, right? If you just say, I'm going to defect the rest of the time, well, they're just going to defect the rest of the time too, right? I mean, if they figure out that's kind of what you're doing, yeah. And the other interesting thing about that is tit for tat, uh, if you apply it to lots of different situations, it doesn't have, it doesn't need to have any foresight really, right? It doesn't care what you're doing next. It doesn't need to try to predict or look ahead. It also doesn't need much memory, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to remember what happened 20 moves ago. It's just all it cares about is what did you do last move? That's what I'm doing. It doesn't keep track of anything behind. It doesn't predict what you're going to do. It's really interesting. Scott, do you know, have they, have they played this out with any of the like real world scenarios, like the gas station, like the pricing model? Do you know of any places they've done that where they've, the tit for tat, does that work in say pricing? Um, I don't know. I think it's more theoretical game theory stuff, but um, it should, it should work out, right? Yeah. The incentives are kind of the same. So if I'm Casey's across from Quick Trip, and anybody who's not from the Midwest is going to be like, what is this Casey's thing they're talking about? But <laughs> they have good pizza. But anyways, it's a gas station. With the best pizza. They have good pizza. <laughs> yeah. So um, if Casey's lowers their price, right? Let's say, let's say $4 is the price, the, the, the normal price. That's the cooperative price, right? If Casey's drops it down to $3.97, and then Quick Trip drops theirs to $3.97, well, they're both going to realize pretty quick, I think, well, we can't keep just dropping our prices down, right? So maybe they, Casey's, so they might stay there, but Casey's might be like, okay, we tried, you know, it didn't work out for us. Let's go back to $4. They go back to $4, you know, and if they both keep it at three ninety seven, then they're just going to keep keeping it at 3 right? Because they're going to keep defecting, essentially. Yeah. I think that's price equilibrium. Yeah, I was kind of thinking it's kind of like a wave effect. Yeah. Like you're going to if you go down, they're going to go down. Every time one goes down, the other one goes down to match. Eventually they're going to be like, "Well, this isn't doing us any good." And they go back up. Go back up. And if you start to go back up and they come back up too, you're going to say, "Oh, well, if I could go up a little more, I could go up a little more, you know." Yeah. So I think it's going to probably Every time you go down, they go down, so it's not doing you it's not getting you an advantage. And if you go up, they go up. Now we're both making more money. Yeah. Whereas the grudge one, if I lower my price, you lower your price, and I say, okay, I tried, it didn't didn't work, I'll go back up, and then you keep yours down, well, now I'm just going to go back down again, right? Like, yeah. we're both making less but, but money. But that is an effective strategy as well that people use in business when they are the much bigger player and they're bleeding out the smaller... Sure, sure. And and that's assuming that they're not equal on equal footing, right? Yeah. Because, like, the prisoner experiment, you're both facing the same end result they're both on equal equal standing yeah. but yeah you're right in in business if if i have higher margins i'll lower my price because i know they can't do the same thing and make money right exactly there's always different constraints compared to a you know kind of simplistic model that we're we're dealing with yeah but, of course in real life yeah. it's always yeah. much more complicated but, much more, yeah. but. and maybe the maybe the owners of the two businesses are cousins and they have you know history <laughs> i don't know but any all these movies make you believe that the mafia boss prison is like great for them. They can still do all their business from there. They get to talk to the guards, they get whatever they need. So maybe it isn't That's equal. That's true. Maybe you just committed a robbery with the mafia boss right. and you're screwed. Yeah. Doesn't matter what be. you do. Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting from their little tournament was not only did Tit for Tat win, uh, the top strategies, the ones that were the top like eight, I think, or so, were all what would be considered friendly strategies, or they all start by cooperating. 
they don't immediately go with defecting. They start by cooperating. Those were all the winning ones. And all of the ones that started by being selfish and defecting were the not the not good strategies in the end. Are you saying there's a moral thing to this? Not necessarily, but you could read that into it, yes. I think you could. They did another tournament, I don't remember, I want to say later in the 80s, I don't know, I don't have the date, but there was a lot more people that entered strategies, uh, and they changed a little bit, because the first one, it was like, was it 100 or 200? It was a certain number of rounds, and you can kind of use the number of rounds as a little bit, if you know how many rounds there are, like the last round, you might as well defect, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're not going to get punished for it. True. So there's no reason not to defect in the last round. So they changed it so you didn't know how many rounds it was going to be, which makes a little bit of a difference on your strategizing. So uh, a whole bunch of things. There was one that was like tit for tat, but um, they called it like forgiving tit for tat. So basically, I'm going to do what you do, but if you defect, I'm not going to defect unless you do it twice in a row. If you defect twice in a row, then I'm going to defect. And that sounds good, sort of. It works pretty well until people know that that's a strategy that exists. Because then Uh, they have a strategy called Tester. Tester will do a defect and see what happens. And if you don't defect, then they'll go back to... They'll do a defect and then cooperate. What'd they do? Oh, they didn't defect. Okay. And it will just defect, cooperate, defect, cooperate, defect, cooperate. And the other one will just cooperate the whole time. Right? Because you never get two in a row. That's fair. So it didn't win. Tit for tat still won. So anybody listening to this, if you're in grade school and somebody punches you, you're supposed to punch them back based on this strategy is what I'm learning. Right away. (laughs) Right away. And give them a minute and be like, are you going to punch me again? So, I mean, honestly, that's kind of what it's telling us is if someone punches you, you should punish them somehow. That doesn't necessarily mean punch them back. It could be punch them back, right? It could be tell on them. Right. That's the recommended strategy for this person, just to be clear. We would like to make the record clear. We do not condone punching people. <laughs> we don't condone violence. No. But it, the point is you should punish them. And it does make sense, right? What do we say about, I mean, that's what you always say with bullies, right? You can't just let a bully keep bullying you, right? Problem punishment is the whole point. You've got you've to do something to stop it, right? You've got to stand up for yourself somehow. So punish them. But also this tells us you should be quick to forgive if they... Forgive. Don't hold a grudge, right? True. So there is a moral thing to this. (laughs) Kind of. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, Another interesting place where this prisoner's dilemma is actually good for society, the fact that the prisoner's dilemma is the case. Think about an oil cartel, okay? They're cooperating, right? They're agreeing we're going to limit how much we're willing to sell because we're going to keep the the supply low to keep the prices high so we all make a lot of money. Well, they're always incentivized. If we say we're all going to sell 100 barrels a month, well, I might think, man, if I sell 103, I'm going to make more money and it's not really going to change much, right? But we're all tempted to do that. So they're constantly being tempted not to cooperate just like this Mm -hmm. and so it actually works out well that they're tempted not to cooperate and that they should defect um, because it will increase the supply and bring down the price because even though it's going to bring down the price they're still going to make more money yeah because i could say i could sell these at 100 i could do 105 of them a little cheaper, still going to come out ahead. I'm better off doing that. Doesn't this also yeah, apply to true. nuclear bombs? It kind of like, does. Couldn't you say that this is countries fighting wars and 
you know, if you send in your tanks and they get destroyed or your ships or whatever, like there's levels of we're both willing to lose our queen on the chessboard or whatever. And, but like the king is too big of a, of a price. And so what's your price yeah. you're willing to lose. And then what's your, your decision or strategy that stays within that safe space for you. Yep, for sure. And it, this is kind of goes back to, um, the whole first strike thing, right? We don't want to be attacked first, so we'd better hit them first before they hit us. And you're almost incentivized to hit first because otherwise you're behind and you're trying to catch up. And yeah, for sure. Or imagine a, a, a racers running a race, right? We're all at the start line, but no one is starting us. We start when the first person goes is the start of the race. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to be the first one to go, right? This is the grade school. I'll race you to the end of the block. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. I think you. I think you see this in in racing. Like in, uh, it's an interesting comparison with uh, Formula One racing because you have a lot of. They always each team can enter two cars um, in every race, and it's. Uh, I watched a series on this uh, recently. Um, it's a Netflix show, and they. It's incredible how many times teammates crash each other. Like I couldn't believe it because it's in their best interest. Like if they're one, two or even three, four in the points, it's it's incredibly important for them to work together and finish and maintain their their position or advance together. But they will fight each other for those that one point or those couple of points they're going to get as an individual because they individually want to win the the the, the championship. And so it's really surprising to me that there's at least two or three times in that in that season or in the series you've seen teammates crash each other and then they're both out of the points for doing it. And so it's like it's almost it's like a prisoner's dilemma on steroids because they go from like nothing in a race to, you know, they could have done very very well together. It's just surprising. But I would also argue that conversely that in that situation they have been bred from very, very young age to be number one. And so anything other than number one is not acceptable. And so there's a little bit of a different mindset that if you even consider yourself being okay, not being number one, that you lose your seat or you lose your edge and you're out of formula one. It's a great series though. I've watched it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point because you're right. They, they, they can lose, they can lose their seat pretty easily. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good point. I think going off of what Mark said, you can even relate that to like the American mindset of capitalism, that these companies are competing for gas prices. Like everybody wants to be number one. Nobody wants to be number two. They want to be the person that Americans think of as the first place to go get gas. Like nobody's thinking, oh, I'm going to go down to like, I don't know, a cheap gas place. The one with the green dinosaur, something like that. Dynaco. Dynaco. Thank you. <laughs> Not Dynaco is yeah. the one from Cars. Uh, picks, it's it's Sinclair, in cars, but yeah. it's the Cars the, version. That's actually what I was thinking, but I didn't want to show my age. So, but anyway, uh, I think that the capitalistic society that we live in, everybody wants to be the best, so everybody's willing to push other people down to be the best. That's kind of true. There's another interesting thing called uh, uh, something commons. Oh, what's a, I don't remember what it's called. Something about the commons. But the general idea, it's like the prisoner's dilemma. Let's say there's a field. It's just an open field. Anybody can use it. Okay, And there's a certain amount of grass, and it can support a certain number of sheep grazing on it. right? And if you get too many, then the field will start to fall apart, and the health of the sheep won't be as good. So it can hold you know, six sheep or whatever. And there's several farmers that have sheep that are going to graze there. 
I'll, uh, it's easy to see that obviously they should limit it to six to keep the field fresh and keep their sheep healthy. And that would be the best for everyone, right? But each individual farmer says, yeah, but if I put one extra sheep there, yes, yes, the field's going to be a little less healthy and my sheep are going to be a little less healthy and I'm not going to be able to, you know, get as much wool from them. But I'll have one more sheep that's grazing. So even if I'm getting, you know, 97% of the wool from each sheep, I've got one more sheep. So each farmer is incentivized to put one more sheep and then the other one, one more. And they're all going to keep putting one more sheep out there because mm -hmm. it's always better for me if I add one more sheep. And then eventually they're all the field's gone and the so sheep the community are unhealthy. Garden. And, you I know. mean, it's very similar to a community garden. Like. They all take care of their yeah. own little space. They have access. But eventually somebody, maybe even not one of the gardeners, comes in and takes people's food. Yeah, so it's not even... I mean, capitalism obviously is an example. Uh, but it kind of works out, I think, just in general in yeah. life. There's lots of situations where the best thing for you is to be selfish. But the best thing for everyone as a whole is for everyone to cooperate. Doesn't it come down to the difference is prisoner's dilemma is if you think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs is I think that's Maslow. Yep, anyway, it's Maslow. Uh, I don't remember how to pronounce his name, but this is about safety and having a place. It's very different if you're in thinking about going to jail and losing everything you have versus another sheep that's going to get less healthy. Sure. Like I can live if my sheep die but I can't be somewhere else having a job, raising kids, getting, you know, making more money if I'm in prison. So there's a difference there between the fight flight and the, the safety part of it than the gas station raising their price a little bit more. Right. A prisoner's dilemma in the original idea of going to jail is, of course, a bunch higher stakes than some of these other ones. Yeah. But I think, Mark, to your point, what you're trying to make is that because sometimes we either can justify or the stakes seem much lower, then then it becomes much easier to act in our own self-interest at that point. So whether it's OPEC, you know, producing an OPEC country says, I'm only going to produce 100,000 barrels. And it said, well, we'll do 103,000. You know, it's not a big deal because the ramifications of that are not that not that serious right what happens uh, i made a little more money nobody really gets hurt so it's kind of like you were saying with the sheep you know one more sheep so i mark makes a great point because it's like it the how serious the consequences for your actions are do dictate a little bit about how selfish you're going to be when you make a decision mm -hmm. yeah but the theory says that they're going to do a little bit more which is going to make someone else do a little bit more. And then it yep. snowballs and it becomes snowballs. a bigger consequence, even though the initially it's smaller consequence, right? I don't remember the term, but in sociology, there's a study of this, that there's these rules that we live in in our society. And as long as everybody stays in the rules, it's going to be okay. But if somebody even stretches the rules a little bit, then everybody else feels the allowance to stretch more and it just leads to total anarchy it's 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 signs it's it's everything that we take for granted that you just behave that way because you've been raised that way and it's safety for others but there's always somebody out there who's like you know what it's probably in the country i don't feel like stopping at a stop sign this happened when we were growing up down the street somebody ran a stop sign like every day leaving their house and finally there was somebody that they t-boned and killed mm. and i mean yeah it it does really affect society if one person steps out of the, the norm there. Yeah. 
I think that's where the, it comes full circle back to the prisoner's dilemma. Like, that's why we have, like, cause and effect, like, crime and punishment, because we know that even something so little as robbing a jewelry store for one ring can lead to somebody committing a heinous crime. Yeah, because, I mean, the tit-for-tat strategy tells us that you need to be punished for defecting, right? Mm-hmm. But then, But then also forgiven, so... You know, somebody does a crime, they get arrested, they do their time, then they should be. Does, does this make a case for punishing, like, uh, be more strict on punishing, like, smaller petty crimes then? Does well, that have any ramification for that? I don't know. I mean, the tit for tat thing sort of implies maybe. I mean, I mean, in the in the in the game theory part of it, you know, the way they have it set up, there was it, there was no levels of punishment and i mean it was just either cooperated effect uh and that is interesting i'm sure people have done that where there's different levels of cooperation and defection it would get complicated really fast i'm sure somebody's done that i'm not uh familiar with that but it would be interesting to know how that changes the strategy should your punishment be equal or a little less a little more than their defection right yeah i think that like it's uh, cruel and unusual punishment is like a big thing that we talk about in our country like when it started but now today like punishing equal to the crime so like petty crime should be punished equal to their crime or should they be a little bit more so that you can make them think that they shouldn't do that because if they steal like a hundred dollars from a cash register and you find them a hundred dollars they're gonna be like oh well i'm walking away with the same thing but if you find them right. 250 dollars then they have some incentive. Yeah, to if you're it. if if all you're out is what you gained, mm-hmm. then you might as well try it, right? Yeah. <laughs> if if I know that if I steal a hundred dollars, I'm only going to lose the hundred dollars, then clearly I'm going to steal the hundred dollars because there's a chance I'll get away with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> or if you just chop off everybody's hand for any crime, you know, crime goes down overall, and yes. then you have a lot of people walking around with one. That's hand, a great but... solution, Mark. Then we'll know who the criminals are. But. But that's kind of, in some ways, kind of like the grudge thing, where once you defect, once you defect, I'm going to defect the rest of the time. I feel like that's a similar kind of thing, where, like, if you do one smaller crime, I'm going to really punish you heavily. That doesn't end up working out for the society in the long run, according to this game theory. Yeah, who's going to support all the people in the society that don't have hands? The people that were good to begin with. (laughs) That's a great analogy, Mark. What's the what's the quote? An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Yep. Except that's not entirely true. There'd be one guy with one eye still at the end, right? With only one eye, though. Or a lot of angry blind people. Yeah. So so of course, once you start putting you know morals and that kind of stuff in, it makes a a big difference on the whole the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Because then you're you you have some incentive. You know, I have some incentive to do the right thing for you and not just selfishly for myself. It's interesting that such a simple, relatively simple set of rules could come up with such a complex uh, outcome. You know, there's not a whole lot to it. So it's kind of like a, it's very chaotic to know. You can't really know intuitively, like what's the right thing to do. seems like it should be easy, but it's, it's much more complicated. I also feel like they should, they should conduct this with prisoners, like people who are actually, in a situation similar. Oh, people that have faced it. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Because once you know what the punishment's going to be, like as a lame person that has never been to prison, you can only imagine what it's like. But if you've been to prison, your decision might be different. 
I'm I'm in prison right now. This is my cell. You're back That's to your the cell? future poster. You have the, yeah, this is the my back cell. to the future I'm cell. There. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the movie theme cell. Yeah, that's where that's the the poster is whole is hiding your hole, right? Yeah. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, I think we're way past Mark's bedtime, so No, I actually already have that superpower that I don't need to sleep, so Oh, the superpower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you picked at the beginning. Yep. That's true. We we all No, you wanted to uh, to not have to eat. Yeah. We wanted yeah, to not sleep. But I chose to. Uh, <laughs> He's changed his mind. This is true, yes. Right now, the other one sounds better. You don't need to have a bedtime snack. You just need the bedtime. You just don't need the bedtime snack. That, that's right. I just need the sleep. <laughs> you know, I've thought before, you know, forget eating or sleeping. Imagine a future with some technological advancement where you there's no no need to eliminate waste or use the restroom. How would that change society? And that's a whole nother podcast, I guess. Tune in next time. <laughs> that's, a, that's our topic for next like, time. I feel like that's the one that like so many things for me, like not being able, not having to sleep would be great. Not having to eat would be good. But like there's so much of our world and everything that revolves around bathroom breaks. And I mean, we've got to make sure we have public restrooms and where are we going? We've got to drag bathrooms out to the field for our big festival that we're having. You know, like, if people didn't have to use the bathroom, that would change so much. And the jobs that waste management has. Jobs, yeah, so much. That Woodstock concert that they had would have been a lot lot more comfortable if they hadn't had to well, go to the bathroom. And think about how many diseases in the past, plagues and all kinds True. of stuff that yeah, came sure. just oh. because... I mean, still today... People today, that yeah. have, you know, water quality issues, not just yep. because of that, but sometimes that's the whole reason. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. that could be huge. The world would be overpopulated. The world could be overpopulated. That's, that's mm-hmm. a valid argument. Topic yeah. for next time, Scott. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, and speaking of topics for next time, uh, if you have a suggestion for what you'd like to hear us talk about here on Conversely, uh, head over to the website, conversely.fm, and you can give us a suggestion of something you'd like to hear. Do you wonder what a world would be like without waste? I, Scott yeah, does. I do. I've, th- I've thought about that m- on multiple occasions. Every time Scott's using the restroom, <laughs> I, he's thinking about what it would be like. <laughs> I, I can honestly say I have never thought Me about neither. that. Not one time. Not one. There's just so many times that it's revolved. I mean, you, how, what's the classic thing? We're getting ready to leave. You'd better, you'd better stop. You better go to the bathroom before we leave. Go We're not going to stop right away. How often do we have to stop? Do we, where can we? You know, I just, there's there's whole websites devoted to the best public restrooms. Having I mean, had a job in the summer where I worked at a landfill, whenever you say waste, I'm thinking of that waste, not human waste. That's a whole nother one by itself. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Worst job ever. So thank you, Cam and Jolyn and Mark, and the other one. <laughs> this was fun. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Scott. We'll have to do it again yeah. sometime. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah. All right. Cool. Time to go to sleep. I'll see you guys later. See ya. Good night. Bye, Thank everybody. you. I don't know how to wrap this up. That's the good question. I have. I didn't think about that. I thought about how to start it, not how to wrap it up. Well, conversely, I think it needs to end. T- tune in next time when we discuss not having to go to the bathroom. <laughs>